0: What makes you laugh? For me, it's a good meme. I love memes. And maybe memes aren't your thing, but you were made to laugh. It's basic to who we are as human beings. It's basic to life. I learned this week that you start laughing as early as three months old, and you learn to laugh even if you're a baby who's deaf or blind. Mayo Clinic, they did a study and they found that laughter is good for our bodies and it's good for our relationships. And for your physical health, they found that laughter lightens your mental load. It actually induces physical changes in your bodies. For instance, I mean, think about it. Laughter enhances your intake of oxygen-rich air. Laughing stimulates your heart and your lungs and your muscles. Laughing increases the relief of endorphins, which I don't know what those are, but I think they're good. It also decreases your heart rate. It decreases your blood pressure. It improves your immune system. It relieves pain. I mean, all these things. So you see how if you care about your body, then you'll care about laughing. Another reason laughter is so important is that it's good for your relationships. They found that you're 30 times more likely to laugh in a group. So no wonder COVID was terrible. They had children watch TV, the children who were two and a half through four years old. They'd watch a cartoon uh, with a friend, with a group of children, and they'd watch that same cartoon by themselves. And they were eight times more likely to laugh at the cartoon when they were with a group. See, what laughing does is it signals to another person that you want to connect with them. It signals that you're safe. It signals that others want to cooperate with you. But not all laughter is the same. Yes, a lot of it is something that that comes about because of humor. Laughter does happen as a sign of joy, as a sign of happiness, but it's not always that way. I mean, there are other ways that you can laugh, you can scoff, and you can mock. And that's what we see in our passage today. We see, in fact, the laughter of joy, but we also see the laughter of scoffing, the laughter of mocking. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, Ishmael, the Egyptian, So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. The word of the Lord. So did you catch the word? Did you catch the key word? The key word is to laugh. It's six times used in the first nine verses. Three of those six times are used with the name Isaac because Isaac is, means to laugh. You see Isaac in verse 3. You see it men, him mentioned again in verse 4 and then in verse 5. You see Sarah use the word to laugh twice in verse 6. And then in verse 9, you see Ishmael laugh. But before we look at any of these laughs from Genesis chapter 21, I want to look at two previous instances of laughter in the Abraham narrative. One happens from Abraham himself and the other is from Sarah. Abraham laughs in Genesis 17, 17, and Sarah laughs in eighteen twelve. And you can tell that when Abraham laughs, that it's a scoff. By the time you get to Genesis 17, God had already promised Abraham that he would have a son in Genesis chapter 12. It's been many years between chapters 12 and chapter 17. And God shows up to reassure Abraham of his promise that he's going to have a son, but then God ups the ante. He makes things even more unbelievable by saying that his son will, will be a king and that his sons will become nations. And Abraham thinks this is so crazy, it's so far out, it's so out there that he laughs at God. And then in chapter 18, Sarah does much the same thing. God shows up in the form of three persons to share a meal with Abraham. And while they're sharing this meal, Sarah overhears the conversation that God is having. With Abraham, where God promises that Sarah will have a baby in a year. When she overhears this, she laughs to herself. It's a scoff. She can't believe it. It seems impossible. So here you have it. Both Abraham and Sarah are scoffing at God. I mean, the scoff essentially says to God, you're not telling the truth. You're a liar. Instead, I want you to come alongside of me in my heartache and quit calling me to hope. The scoff also says something to themselves. The scoff is a form of self-hatred. The scoff says, what have I done to deserve this kind of heartache? And what scoffing really does is that it excludes hope. Scoffing holds desire at arm's length. Scoffing keeps us from being vulnerable because we don't want to be let down again. Again. See, the bottom line is that scoffing really does cloak disrespect and laughter. And so like Abraham, like Sarah, God's calling you, he's calling me to believe impossible things too. Some of the impossible things are about himself and some things are the kinds of things that he wants to do in us. Here are the things that God wants us to believe about him. He's asking us to believe lots of things that have happened in history. He's asking us to believe that he created all things by the power of his word. God's asking us to believe that he sent his son as God incarnate. God's asking us to believe that Jesus absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf on the cross. God is asking us to believe that Jesus rose again from the dead. God is asking us to believe that he's coming again to make all things right. All seem impossible at face value. He's also asking you to believe he can do the impossible for you and through you and to you. He's asking you to believe that sobriety is possible. He's asking you to believe that healing from past trauma is possible. He's asking you to believe that he can give you the resources that you need to love your spouse and love your children. He's asking you to believe that he can provide for your material needs. He's asking you to believe that you can be content with what you have. He's asking you to believe that he can give you a spouse or a child. He's asking you to believe that he can convert your friend or your neighbor or your family member. He's asking you to believe that he can help you forgive those who have hurt you. But don't you find that the longer you've been longing for any one of these things, the easier it is to scoff at God? I do. What does God do with me and you? What does he do with run-of-the-mill scoffers? Well, you see it in verses 1 to 7. What God does with run-of-the-mill scoffers is that he transforms our laughing scoffs into laughing joy. I mean, look at verse 1. In verse 1, you see it straightforward. It says, God visits Sarah. And the last time that you see Sarah in the Abraham narrative, she's laughing at God. Have you ever thought about God visiting you? I mean, it sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? And here he is, he's visiting a woman who scoffed at him just one year prior. And he doesn't hold it against her. He doesn't take personal offense at her disbelieving him. But he comes through his promise. I mean, look at verses 1 and 2 and how they're constructed. In verse 1, it says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. See, the the repetition here. Three times God is trying to say, trying to emphasize the fact that he's faithful to sinners. I mean, it's been 25 years since Genesis chapter 12, now that we're in chapter 21. He gives them the promise of verse 12, and he continues to give them reassurances. He does that in 1316, and 155, and 175, and 1716, and 1810. But for all the reassurances that God gives Abraham and he gives Sarah of his glorious promise, they return his reassurances with scoffing. And God fulfills his promise to them in spite of their unbelief. So here you have it. you got God in his grace. He he comes to Sarah and he causes her to laugh in verse 6. And this is a different laughter. It's the laughter of joy. It's the laughter of wonder. It's the laughter of responding to God, fulfilling his promises. See, what God wanted for Abraham and Sarah is to remember his faithfulness. He wanted them to, he wanted to transform what was once shameful, the scoff, and turn into something redemptive. And that's why he told them to name their son Laughter, Isaac. In fact, I think this is the reason he has them wait 25 years from the original promise of having a child until actually having a child. I think he did it because he has their joy in mind. He knew the longer they waited that the harder they would laugh because the longer they wait, the more impossible Isaac's birth becomes and the more they'll believe it was a miracle that they have a son. And maybe today, maybe you're in the middle of those 25 years. God's made a promise to you that you don't see coming to fruition, and it's painful. But I'm here to tell you today that God wants joy for you. God is concerned about your laughter. He will visit you like He did Sarah and Abraham. He will be true to His promises like He was for Sarah and Abraham. He will work a miracle for you like He did Sarah and Abraham. Why? Because he wants you to laugh. Because laughter really is the mark of a mature Christian. Mature Christians, they know that the longer they're a Christian, the more of a miracle that it is that they're a Christian in the first place. The longer you're a Christian, whenever you see the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence in your life, you see it's a miracle. I can't believe I've got any peace in life. I have no reason to have peace. None. I have three kids. I live in America in 2023, and I have peace every once in a while. Every once in a while, I've got a little joy, and it's a miracle. But the text is really clear here. The text is clear that even though God works miracles, He doesn't make your life easy. And that's what brings the third kind of laughter. It's the laughter of mockery. You see it in verse 9. See, in verse 9, you've got Ishmael. Ishmael's not named here, but Ishmael is the son of Hagar. And he laughs. And when he laughs, it makes Sarah so mad that she orders him and his mother Hagar to be cast out into the desert. Now, several weeks ago, we looked at this passage, Genesis chapter 16, when Ishmael was born. And he's born because Sarah was tired of waiting for her son to come along. So she did some scheming. She set her husband up with Hagar, who was her maidservant, who was her slave. And since Hagar was her property, any baby that she had through Hagar with Abraham would be considered, at least culturally, to be Sarah's. See, it was common cultural practice for wealthy, influential females to deal with their infertility in this way. And so now, verse 9, Ishmael's 16 years old. And Isaac, he's fully weaned, so he's probably about three. And Abraham throws a feast for Isaac. And at this feast, Ishmael mocks this whole situation. And see, the word, in, in, in our translation, the ESV, it does translate this as laugh, but many other translations use mock, and it's just the intensive form of the verb to laugh because he's ridiculing Sarah. He's ridiculing Isaac. He's being hostile. But why would Ishmael be this way? Why does he feel so hostile towards his little brother? Well, it's likely because he doesn't view the situation as very fair. I mean, he is the oldest in this situation, right? He's the one who's been getting all the attention the previous 13 years. He was Abraham's only son for a long bit. He probably doesn't see it as fair either because Sarah treats him so poorly, even though he can trace his whole existence back to her own self-engineering. She wants to be mad at somebody, she should be mad at herself. But nonetheless, Ishmael's in this, he's in this unenviable enviable position, isn't he? I mean he's the firstborn, but he's not the heir. He's got this jealousy of being displaced. And when Sarah sees his envy, she casts him and his mom out into the desert. Does Ishmael deserve this? He knows he's not the promised son. He should have just been happy to have a seat at the table. He should have realized that just being with his father Abraham was good enough. He didn't need to have the first chair. But no, he mocks Sarah and he mocks Isaac. So how's God going to respond to Ishmael? What's he going to do? With this teenage boy. Well, if we would have kept reading the rest of the chapter 21, here's what you would see. You would see that God finds Ishmael out in the desert and he makes him a promise. You would find that God finds Ishmael out in the desert and he provides for him. You would find out that the concluding statement of chapter 21 is that God is present with Ishmael as he grows into a man. Isn't that surprising? I mean, how would God deal with him in this way? I mean, this is a guy who's God's chosen one, Isaac, yet here God is being gracious yet again. I mean, think back to where we started. We started with Abraham and Sarah scoffing. It's the laugh of a cynic, and now we're here. It's the laughter it's mockery with Ishmael. And what does God do with scoffers? What does God do with mockers? Well, brothers and sisters, he saves them. I mean, Sarah needed a whole lot more than Isaac. Ishmael needed a lot more than his father's approval. They needed a Savior. And one day that Savior did come. And his conception would be even a greater miracle than Isaac. See, Isaac just came from two old people, an old dad and an old mom. Jesus came from a virgin with no husband. Isaac's Isaac's birth brought laughter to a few people, verse 6. But Jesus' birth brought laughter to the whole world. I mean, just look at the birth narrative in the Gospels, and you'll find that every person who encounters the newborn Jesus experiences joy. You've got Anna, you've got Simeon, you've got the wise men, you've got the angels, you've got the shepherds, and they all sing. And then the angel in Luke 2.14 says, I bring you glad tidings of great joy that will be for all people. You know who's including that all people? You. See, Jesus wants you to laugh. And he's not going to give you cheesy advice on how to laugh more. He's not going to say you need to put up a comic strip on your dashboard. He's not going to say put jokes or greeting cards on your refrigerator. He's not going to tell you that to, 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 to follow a bunch of good, have a bunch of good followers on Instagram to find your funny memes and send them to me. He's not going to give you a list of funny movies or Instagram reels that's going to make you laugh. He's not going to tell you to go to a comedy club. He's going to do for you what he did for Sarah. He's going to make the impossible possible. He's going to work a miracle in you. And your situation and my situation was just as impossible as hers. See, we're faithless. We're hard hearted. But Jesus lived and he died and he rose again and he sent his spirit to graciously work in your life even though you're weak and unworthy. And he does all that just to make you laugh. You'll be ridiculed. Just like Sarah, just like Isaac. Your experience of joy is going to ebb and flow. You'll laugh a little bit, then you won't laugh for a long time. And Jesus knew that would happen. In John 16, he says, you have pain now. But I'm going to see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. See, Jesus is saying that the source for your joy is inexhaustible. Its source is the gospel, and it runs just beneath the surface, regardless of your circumstances. You can draw from it anytime you want. And when you do, it's going to prompt you to laugh. It's going to prompt you to sing. And one day, all you will do is laugh and sing. See, Revelation 19 says, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. So, brother and sister, until that day, until Revelation 19 happens, I hope you find some relief and some godly humor. I hope you find these small moments where small miracles of grace happen. I hope you can laugh with one another and you can laugh at yourself all as you await your coming King who's armed with joy. Let's pray. Oh Jesus, we do pray that you would come quickly. We're we're so tired of being sad. We're so tired of scoffing at trying to hold on to hope. We're so sad at, at, at playing what's fair and what's not fair, mocking it, mocking others when they get what we think we deserve. Oh, Father, would you free us from that. And Lord, you allow us to at the miracle that we're yours. We pray these things in your name. Amen.